Hi there folks, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. Today we're going to talk about the number one reason why verbal aggression is still happening in your home when you're parenting a sensitive kid stuck in the meltdown cycle. So I'm here to help you break out of this pattern. We've helped hundreds of families do the same thing and uh, be able to stop the meltdown cycle in as little as eight weeks. So uh, let's have a conversation about what to do when your child is yelling, screaming, shut up, threats, um, wishing that they would die or that, that siblings would die, etc. And uh, what to do about it. Hello and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. So here at MTC, we've helped hundreds of families break out of this pattern in as little as eight weeks. So what I mean by that is that they have stopped the yelling, stopped the outbursts, stopped the major meltdowns. Uh, for whatever reason that you're, that our clients are coming to us, they break the cycle. And so when we think about the challenges that uh, we've helped so many families break out of this, um, break out of, uh, one thing that we hear from many parents who are stuck in this meltdown cycle is that the meltdowns might not include hitting. They might not include throwing things. Um, they might not include shutting down. Those are all behavior issues that we help parents break out of. Uh, for parents of, of kids three, two, uh, all the way up through uh, 18 and end of high school years. And with that being said, uh, today we'll focus on verbal aggression, that the, the yelling, the screaming, the cursing, um, the intense language, like I hate you, shut up, this is the worst day ever, um, you're horrible, um, you're the worst mommy ever, anything like that. And hearing that out of your child's uh, mouth, no matter their age, right? Six, seven, nine, 11, 14, um, 15, even 16, etc., cetera, um, can be really, really difficult, on a, especially if that's happening on a daily basis. So uh, families that we work with often are stuck in this cycle. Those outbursts, the, melt, the, the major meltdowns are happening multiple times a day. Um, or you know, once a day or even multiple times a week. So much so that you as a parent are starting to feel like you're holding your breath. Um, that in your own home, you feel like you can't experience respect and uh, safety and emotional control and um, you're holding your breath, walking on eggshells and, and uh, what we call hypervigilant. Um, which means basically like waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting to see um, when your kid is going to set off. Uh, and, and that's no way to live for you as a parent, but it's also really important to notice what's going on for your child. And, and so we think about why this is happening. If your child is hitting uh, or if your child is screaming, uh, the, the challenge is the same. And so this is really, really important for you to notice because the cycle is the same regardless of the behavior intensity. Uh, if it's happening regularly and daily and, and uh, lasting a long time, uh, then this is incredibly important for you to pay attention to because 
the, the, the meltdown cycle that you're in is not behavior specific. Uh, the meltdown cycle is frequency specific, intensity specific, duration specific. Uh, and that's what we're talking about here. So when you look at gauging um, the, the outbursts that your child is having, you might think, oh, well, at least my kid's not throwing things anymore like they did when they were four. Um, or at least my kid's not hitting anymore. They're just throwing their words, right? Um, and while that is less destructive, uh, it's still incredibly destructive to the relationship, you know, less physically destructive, still incredibly de destructive to the relationship you have with your child and that your child has with anybody else in the home. Uh, because many siblings can watch uh, a sensitive kid yell, scream, uh, freak out, have outbursts um, and, and notice, whoa, you know, you're talking to my mom like that. I don't like that. I would never be able to talk to my parents like that. Um, and then, and then we see the whole dynamic of the siblings, um, living in that constant stress. I mean, this is the exact stress that I, uh, struggled with consistently as a sibling of a sensitive kid. You know, my sister struggled with her language use and not being able to use safe language in the house. And so the yelling was pretty consistent and pretty persistent. Um, and, uh, yelling wasn't appropriate or accepted in our home and, and, it's not developmentally appropriate for kids to yell consistently. Um, and yet the anger uh, that was that that was met with, uh, with, you know, traditional parenting um, didn't help us either. Right. So, you know, as a parent, if you're yelling back at your kid, uh, you've already engaged in the in the power struggle. You've already engaged in um, the lesson of uh, shaming your child and um, trying to, to send the message to your kid that their behavior is wrong or not effective, not appropriate. Um, when in reality, what your child is learning is that they are wrong and um, there's something inherently wrong with them. And so while not highly sensitive myself, I was, uh, you know, raised in with this traditional method um, of, you know, you won't speak to me like that and, and all of all of that uh, language. And in that experience, personally, we also witness how this affects, like I said, all of our clients. Uh, when, when that dynamic is, is playing out in, in their homes. Um, that experience for your children when you're responding in that way, even if it's not the way that you want to respond, um, is really important for you to notice because your children are hearing, um, there must be something wrong with me. Um, you know, I'm a bad kid. And um, that identity that your child is assuming is obviously something that you want to take a look at and, and because you'll be perpetuating that experience. For your child but also for yourself um, because it, it doesn't feel good as a parent to yell at your kids and obviously um, this isn't something that you want to to have happen and when we see kids who are, are raising their voice at their parents um, this is one of the issues sometimes it's because parents are also yelling in the home and it's also true that um, that's not always the case you know you could be uh, really significantly trying not to raise your voice or or um, that might not be your demeanor at all and be very puzzled and confused as to why your child is yelling at you since that's not a behavior that you model. And either way, either way, your child is exhibiting a symptom of the meltdown cycle. Your whole family is dealing with the symptoms of the meltdown cycle, uh, that this is not uh, the behavior that you need to target, um, you know, singularly and alone. There's, there's a lot going on in the family dynamic if that's what's going on for your sensitive kid. Because, um, you know, we know that sensitive children are much more empathetic uh, than the average population. And so they are, on average, more capable 
of displaying that empathy and acting on that empathy when they are emotionally regulated. And so clearly, if your child is yelling at people that they love, you, your, you know, your other children, etc., um, then that means that they're not capable of feeling and acting on the empathy at, at the same time simultaneously. And instead, that emotional experience of being empathetic and noticing that their words hurt you um, just stays locked inside and it creates a shame spiral that can be really, really difficult. We know that that leads to lots of apologies, seeking reassurance, and, and as I mentioned here, the identity experience of feeling like a bad kid after the fact. And so this would lead to, you know, just growing up, observing my sister, writing these long apology notes um, of how devastatingly sad she was about herself and the decisions she would make when she would use this language at home. Um, and, you know, because she knew it disappointed our parents. And that's a, an experience that I've seen over the course of my decades uh, plus long career um, as both a mental health professional as well as a, a parent coach consultant. Um, that that this level of guilt and frustration and aggravation within the, the sensitive child's experience is something that you witness too. Uh, your kiddo might not be writing letters, um, which you know doesn't mean that that they're not thinking about it, right? They might be trying to make up for it in other apologetic ways and and deferring ways, and and so it's really important for you to notice how is your child um, viewing their own needs and that level of out of control behavior, right? Um, you know, obviously you as a parent, you feel guilty um, yelling at your kid. Um, you need to observe that your child feels guilty. Whether they can show it to you or not is a different story. Um, because if they're not emotionally controlled in, in, in managing uh, negative emotions, then it's unlikely they will be able to skillfully share with you uh, of negative emotions that are more vulnerable um, than anger, which is where yelling is coming from. But it doesn't mean that your child isn't feeling it. And so that's really important to break out of that misconception here. This is a skill gap, okay? Your child has a skill gap to, to, that is keeping them in a yelling cycle or in the meltdown cycle that includes yelling. And so when your child is missing that skill to regulate their emotions, to notice their emotions, to, to decrease the intensity, and to, to safely ask for help or to safely ask for their needs to be met in different ways, all of that um, capacity is then going to be met with reactivity um, if, if your child's not able to do it. So they will have a hairpin trigger. They will have a, a struggle in managing um, you know, communication skills and, and, and communicating effectively. And it's important for you to notice that even if home is the only place that you see this behavior, uh, that doesn't mean that your child isn't struggling in uh, other, other com community settings like school or um, with friends or in extracurriculars, etc. Because if your child also struggles with asking for help, um, advocating for their needs, speaking up for their needs, um, then it's important for you to notice that's actually related. Uh, those two things are connected and um, it, it's still an indicator of the skill gap. So what the hardest part about this, right, is, is the fact that you know this isn't your kid. Um, your true child is kind and caring and compassionate and loving. Um, and, and so when we see our clients unlock that potential for their, for their kids to be able to be that kind, caring, compassionate child, uh, pervasively, you know, brings me to celebrating one of our clients recently who's, who, um, celebrated in our client group that, um, her, her daughter received a, a present and the younger, so this is a daughter who's, um, around age eight or nine. 
and um, the, the the middle child loved the present. It was new clothes, and she tried to try it on, and um, and uh, she you know she's a younger um, younger one around age four, and um, her her eight year old highly sensitive sister um, was uh, w you know would have pre our work together. Uh, would have screamed, get out of my clothes. Those are mine. Those are new. Get out of here. Right. Um, but what she did instead was say, Hey, these are new. These are important to me. And she had a private conversation with her four-year-old sister, um, honoring the fact that her four-year-old sister loved the new clothes too. They were fun. They were fancy. Um, and, and, and they were new. Um, and, and was able to advocate for her needs without having such extreme reactivity, right? I mean, one would say that it's totally normal for an eight-year-old to not want her little sister to uh, to wear her clothes, right? I mean, that's a totally appropriate, especially brand new stuff, right? And it's also totally appropriate for a four-year-old to be super interested in big sister's clothes and, and to want to wear them, right? And want to dress up like big sister and, and idolize her. Um, and in that dynamic, mom did not have to explain to her eight-year-old why her, her, her little sister wanted to, to, um, you know, you know, wanted to, to, um, uh, idolize, you know, was d demonstrating an, an, an idyllic situation here. And, um, she d also didn't need to teach in, in that experience that yelling was, um, was not appropriate. Instead, she was able to observe and relish in the fact that her eight-year-old was able to notice, I feel something, you know, I'm, I have a high preference for these new things. I'm very interested in them. And so are you. And I still don't want you to touch them. Um, I still don't want you to put them on. I want to be the one that, that wears them first. And that experience of watching siblings not only um, get along, right? Like just, you know, exist at the in the same house without arguing, but rather problem solve and honor each other's needs at the same time without mom and this mom homeschool. So she's around all the time, <laughs> um, uh, without mom having to step in without mom having to separate and, you know, hold the two back and tell one, Hey, don't talk to your sister like that and tell the other, this is your sister's stuff. You shouldn't touch it. Um, or say she's only four, right? Like any sort of um, explanation in that, lots of lessons to learn and in, in the aggravation that that might cause. Um, and yet here we have a flexible eight-year-old uh, who doesn't need to, you know, cry and scream um, to get her needs met. Instead, she's able to slow down, doesn't even need mom's help. Mom literally walked into this experience um, and, and be able to do that. How, how was this family able to do that? Well, mom first needed to change what her perspective of capability was with her kiddo. She needed to be able to relate to her kiddo at the same level. Um, you know, this is a child whose needs um, were often more frequently um, responded to by dad. Dad was, um, you know, more able to, to relate to his, his highly sensitive daughter in a different way. And so she felt mom always uh, felt pretty disconnected to her eight-year-old. Um, and while raising all three kids that she's got here, um, she needed, as a homeschooling parent, needed to be able to support her middle child here um, in in managing her big emotions so that uh, his dad working from home needed to be able to prioritize that. Um, and uh, it's also true that he wasn't always available. She needed to parent and feel empowered to parent effectively. And so both parents needed to learn what their eight-year-old was capable of, 
right? Because part of this dynamic we see often in, in two parent households or and in one parent households, um, that you as a parent, when you're stuck in noticing your kid with these big yelling, screaming fits um, of, of emotion, your child um, and your belief of what they're capable of um, can start to diminish. You can start to wonder, hmm, can my kid really handle um, getting new things and, and you know, uh, watching her sister be interested in it? Um, can my kid handle having to do work, you know, schoolwork? Um, can my kid handle um, being able to, um, you know, to watch me give attention to her sister's? Um, while I'm not supporting her and she has a need, maybe there's something that's broken or she needs something to help with a, with a, with a, with a buckle or, um, doesn't want to make her own breakfast. Right. And, and that could set the whole thing off. Um, and, and mom in this dynamic needed to know what, what she, her eight year old could be held accountable for. All of those behaviors I just mentioned are completely developmentally appropriate for an eight year old, highly sensitive or not to tolerate you know, making your own breakfast, following through on work um, assignments, uh, doing some of that independently or asking for help if you can't, if, you know, if you need help learning um, and tolerating uh, with patience, um, being around and allowing your siblings to, to exist, being around your siblings and allowing them to exist uh, without, without, you know, having a hairpin trigger for them, all of that totally appropriate uh, for, for a sensitive kid to be able to, to handle uh, consistently, daily without arguments, without outbursts, without screaming, without, um, stomping or, or running away or, or outright refusal, which is all the behaviors that this, this mom and, and, and dad were dealing with, uh, before we were, before we focused on what their kid was capable of, um, that shift and noticing the, the possibilities and then also having the skills to help their kid believe themselves they could handle it. You don't have to be reactive. This doesn't have to be a fire. Um, but doing it in a way that, that doesn't, isn't condescending, right? Telling a kid that would obviously send them for a loop. Yes, but I am on fire right now. How dare you tell me that this isn't a big problem? Um, would obviously send that, that eight-year-old into a defense mechanism of, of saying, you don't get it, you don't understand. So we have to teach her playfully. You have to show her how to communicate effectively in a playful way and do that in a way that doesn't nitpick or, or you know, tackle every single thing at once. Because obviously, especially for homeschooling parents, but this is true for all parents, um, if you're around your kid all the time, it, it can be pretty easy um, to pay attention to, to where their growth edges are. If you see them all the time, right? I mean, you care about your child, you want them to grow and develop, so you will be focused on uh, where their growth edges are. Um, and it's also true that you got to balance that from no with noticing where they're already growing. Um, and, and that's a heck of a lot easier to, to do when you have a system to help them grow. Um, you know, just like teaching a kid to ride a bike, right? Um, when you're teaching your child to ride a bike, you're going to make sure they can first stay steady on the bike. Then you're going to make sure that they can, um, that they can, you know, hold on to, to the, the handles and pedal and keep their eyes up, right? Um, but first they, they might be looking at the pedals and you, and you might just keep them on the driveway so they stay steady and then you're gonna have them keep their eyes up and then you're gonna have them um, you know, move beyond the, the neighborhood so that, and, and make sure they can stop and, and look both ways in traffic uh, before you would have them you know, consistently move forward. So you know how to help somebody ride a, ride a bike, then you're gonna help indif indicate um, that certainty uh, that you can help them um, do that, right? Your child do that. And so same thing goes for, for parenting a sensitive kid stuck in the meltdown cycle. Uh, you as a parent need to know that there's a step one, a step two, a step three, and, and following that system uh, allows you to then relax into um, letting your child learn. 
and um, rather than requiring them to have already learned it by now, um, which is which is where that shame comes in and that aggravation comes in um, if, if it's difficult to be patient, um, which, you know, if your other kids are getting yelled at or you're getting yelled at, uh, it is difficult to be patient, incredibly, incredibly difficult. So when we think about the, the, the important piece around this, you know, when your child is, is able to see this challenge as a skill gap rather than something inherently wrong with them, um, and, and the whole family benefits from that dynamic that they, you know, they stop becoming the scapegoat. Um, they stop becoming the, um, you know, the only one who needs to learn. All children need to learn how to advocate for their needs safely. Um, all children can benefit from, from these, um, uh, from this dynamic change and, um, and you as parents benefit all obviously as well, not just because you're not dealing with the problem anymore. Um, but because, you know, being on the same page and, um, being able to communicate with a common language as parents is incredibly rewarding um, and, and is really, really important as well. And so in noticing um, immediate apology after raising voice, a child being able to, um, to slow themselves down and stop the yelling before they, um, you know, before they keep yelling when if they used to, you know, scream on end for hours, um, that all in, in noticing that progress and understanding how you can help that stay systematic and, and, and improve even beyond that, where yelling doesn't even happen. Um, you know, being able to do that and have that, that certainty that it's not a fluke um, is really, really important for you as a parent to, to notice because um, and to have as a skill set that you need to be able to have, right? So we think about um, breaking out of that walking on eggshells pattern. When you see behavior you want from your child, um, it's a lot easier to honor that and to honor that growth when um, you know that you can help your child continue to demonstrate that behavior uh, compared to, um, you know, if you, if you weren't following a system and rather just trying to teach your kid when they're mad about homework, how to help themselves feel better about homework, um, then you'd, you'd have to deal with it when they're mad at their sister, when she's borrowing their clothes and how to help her deal with that. You, you, what you're doing is having a reactive tactic based um, strategy. And, and that's not really a strategy. It's, it's just, um, it's just reactive. So when you have this freedom, you have the ability to set limits, right? You have the ability to help your kid notice that that behavior is not effective, nor is it acceptable in the home. Um, but, but without, um, showing your child, um, that it's creating exhaustion in your parenting relationship with them, um, without trying to, you know, because that's a side effect of, of yelling and, and getting frustrated and being reactive. Um, you're exhausted, you're tired, and your kid feet picks up on that. They're highly sensitive. Um, so they are incredibly observant of those changes. Uh, and so when you know how to do that consistently, um, then then you can you can break out of this pattern much more effectively, much faster. And um, the the ability for your family to live a different life can happen within the course of weeks. Um, and, and this is with managing all of your other priorities, you know, obviously, um, this family that I'm speaking about, they were, they're raising three children. Uh, one parent is homeschooling. That means she's home all the time, um, with them. Well, almost all the time. I mean, in this, uh, this climate right now, she is home a lot, a lot. Um, whereas they might be hustling and bustling in, in other settings, but, um, right now, there's a lot of togetherness going on, but that, that also, um, can create a lot of, uh, discord 
right? If, if you've got a pressure cooker going on in the house. So um, changing that dynamic obviously influences the entire family for, for the better. And being able to do that in, in under two months, I mean, uh, think about where your family can be in 60 days or around there um, when, when you fixed this problem and, and been able to break out of that, um, that cycle, how much different would, would your life be, uh, available to you, right? Um, how much more freedom would you be able to have? Would you be able to go to parks without being embarrassed? Would you be able to take your kid to target knowing that they weren't going to yell at you? Um, would you be able to, to observe, uh, that, um, that you could put your kid in extracurriculars or co-ops as this family is, um, you know, now available to do if they want or, or, you know, send them, send them to um, a more traditional school setting if, if this is something that's more important, that's important for your family and do that knowing that that's not going to necessarily overwhelm your kid. Um, they won't come home a, a boiling pot of hot water um, and, and noticing at that, at that point uh, that, that not only are you not walking on eggshells while they're home because you have skills, but also you're, you're able to breathe while they're not home because you know what to expect and how to handle your kid's emotions and how to help your kid handle their emotions when they come home. And uh, that pervasive level of calm um, allows you to create all kinds of possibilities for your family. It can help you give more energy to your children in general, it can help you give more energy to yourself as, as a parent, it can help you give more energy to your career, perhaps. We've seen many families uh, benefit um, in their professional lives because they're not showing up like zombies to work anymore um, or, you know, draining themselves at work and then having zero energy and so that the parent guilt shows up at work. Um, at home. So all of this is, is there's a rejuvenating experience that that is available to you uh, when you break out of this pattern that you might not be considering how pervasive this problem actually is, uh, which is why it's important for us to cover that here at MTC. You know, our, our job here, uh, our mission here is to support parents of sensitive kids and, and break out of that so that the suicidal thoughts uh, and self-harmful thoughts of sensitive children who, who grow up in, in chronically invalidating home uh, don't perpetuate. You know, our, our job here is to stop that cycle. And uh, we want to be able to do that for highly sensitive kids around the world. And in order to do that, we need to, um, to, to help you break out of that pattern now and, and notice that it's an urgent pattern. Um, because this is what, what happens when kids struggle and they think that they are not good enough, um, or that they can't measure up to their parents. Um, it's incredibly difficult to, um, you know, to feel capable of solving your problems as a child uh, when, when, you, when your parents don't believe in you. And that could be because your parents are saying that to you. It could be because that comes out in a lecture, um, in the energy from a lecture, or it could be uh, because this is how you perceive the relationship um, because it just feels really hard on a daily basis. And, and for sensitive kids, that is much, um, there's a much quicker um, trajectory. You know, we see zero to 60 in intensity of emotion. There's also a zero to 60 in intensity of thoughts going on for sensitive kids. And, um, and so, so highly sensitive kids are much more quick to, um, to run to the, um, to the belief 
automatic thought that life would be better off without them. And so when, when we're focusing on stopping the cycle before it gets there or um, as it's getting there, but before it ends up to, you know, towards action, uh, this is incredibly important. It's one of our specialties here at MTC and it's something that, um, that not many professionals have a specialty on. So it's, it, it, you know, to me, um, is my duty to, to discuss this with you in our audience because, um, many people will think that that is, um, a bit doomsday to say, and I'm okay if you get mad at me for that, because, um, it's the experience I experienced in my personal life. It's the experience I've experienced in my professional life for decade plus. And, um, you know, at this point I should probably start counting the years, um, <laughs> uh, beyond that decade, but I, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so for you, um, to, to notice, um, when we think about having, you know, having that expertise in treating suicidal thoughts, treating um, self-harm, uh, oftentimes the myth is that children are um, immune to it or, or they don't really say what they mean. Uh, but the research is consistent that's, that children who, who discuss death um, as an option uh, actually know more about that being an option um, and know more about the permanency of death than adults give them credit for. So it's really important that we look at the, um, the, the verbal aggression going on in your home and, uh, and take it seriously now. Um, because even if um, your child is, has stopped hitting, it uh, doesn't mean that you're out of the woods in breaking out of this pattern. And so like I said, it's not just about breaking out of this pattern and stopping that behavior. It's about noticing what's possible when that behavior isn't even a factor in your life anymore. You know, picking up and going to Target and then going to the park and then going to, you know, a friend's house for dinner. All three of those things doesn't have to be overstimulating to the point where your kid is drained at the end of the day and you're worried about how they'll, they'll behave. Um, instead, they manage all day long and they, they have a blast. Uh, and that's the, the go-to everyday life that our clients are able to experience. But then you get to think about that on a more global scale. What does that mean for you when, when everyday life is, is your possibility? Um, and, and the normalcy of that, uh, then you get to notice, you know, what else is possible? Do you get to pick up and go for two weeks on, on a family cross country trip? Or, um, do you get to, you know, change your, your career and, and, um, add a little variety to that because you're, you're not um, scrambling with the um, inconsistencies of, of your child's behavior at home um, because now you can tackle new challenges. Um, and then what, you know, what that allows for your family um, in terms of possibility as well. So all sorts of different ways for you to think bigger and dream bigger uh, that we want you to be focused on and, and obviously noticing how to tackle the problem now rather than waiting to see if your child can grow out of it is, is incredibly um, important uh, and to do at this point. So if you're ready to break out of this pattern and you're ready to start dreaming bigger and start noticing what's available for your family, uh, rather than focused on what your kid can and can't do today, uh, then I encourage you to book a call with our team. Have a conversation with us. Uh, break down the problem that you're having, you know, wh where you're stuck and what you've been stuck with recently uh, with, with parenting your sensitive kid. And, th and then talk about what your goals are. You know, we always ask our clients, what are your, what are your big picture dreams? And, um, you know, some families need some encouragement in that, but you, you won't be able to fix this problem if you're not dreaming big. Um, because a light at the end of the tunnel, just going to Target is as much as that's a great store, um, is, is not really why we live our lives, right? Uh, we, we live our lives for possibility, for enjoyment, uh, for joy, uh, for spontaneity, 
uh, for connection, for happiness, and, and for you know, fun events. And being able to do that whenever we want, uh, however we want, and, and, um, is really uh, something that, that every family deserves because nobody was put on this earth to be miserable. And it's pretty miserable to feel uh, stuck in the confines of your own house. Um, because of, of a, uh, you know, a, a relationship issue in the home. And um, this, is, this is what's available to you to break out of. So I encourage you to think about that. I encourage you to, to, to notice um, where you might have lost hope and uh, hear uh, the stories of our clients and the challenges that they've had um, and how they've broken out of it so much quicker than one might assume is possible. And um, that can be very possible for your family as well. Uh, once we, we, we discuss your challenges and your goals and, and if we think that what we can do here at MTC is gonna be a good fit, my team, team member uh, that you'd speak to on the phone will tell you exactly how that works and how to, how to do it right away. And um, in doing that, uh, you'll be able to, to take immediate action uh, because there's no time like the present that to, to actually make a decision and to solve the problem. And um, you'll be able to do that. And then if it's not a fit, if, if I feel like, you know, if, if our team members feel like um, what, we are, what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with isn't um, our specialty here at MTC, we tell you exactly how to fix the problem differently. Um, because it's really important for us here at MTC that we serve families that we know we can serve. Uh, that fulfills us, that lights us up. It also, you know, being an expert allows us to, um, uh, it allows us to be able to um, get really good at, at, at what we do um, rather than trying to learn, um, you know, all kinds of different angles of, of life circumstances. Uh, we've done that in different parts of our careers, which has allowed us to become specialists in this area, and we prefer to stay that way. So um, happy to, to make sure that anybody that we speak to knows exactly what the right fit is, whether that's with us here at MTC or not, uh, to, to, to slow it down, right? To slow down the intensity, um, to break out of the pattern of intensity so that you can then grow um, and speed up in growing in joy and, and happiness and, um, and enjoyment and that spontaneity with your family. So we look forward to talking to you soon and uh, have a great day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.